Next weekend. Next weekend is the annual RSPB Big Garden Bird Watch. You don't need a big garden to take part. Nor are you particularly looking for big garden birds. You're looking for them in all shapes and sizes, be it in a small garden or in a park. But you do need to spend an hour watching and then seeing and then, assuming it's what you've chosen to do, submitting your results. To simply watch or to note it down but then not submit it defeats the object as it doesn't fulfil the purpose of the exercise. You know, they run it each year so that they can see what's happening to the bird population. Whether populations are on the increase or on the decrease. And I would imagine that some will be going up and some will be going down, because that is what happens. Now, when I glance out my kitchen window, out the lounge window, it can be a bit hit and miss, what I see. You know, sometimes there's nothing there at all. No birds. Not a single one in the garden. And then at other times, it seems that there's dozens of doves and pigeons and other smaller birds uh, on the ground pecking away about the bird feeders or uh, doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, watching for an hour should remove that randomness. It should, because you go for the highest number you see at any type, the highest number of this breed, the highest number of that. I don't know if John was much of a bird watcher, but he sees one, doesn't he? He sees a vision of a dove and it alighted on John the Baptist. Not an actual dove, but it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. What we've heard tonight is how he reports his bird watching to others. He's seen the spirit rest. He understands what that means. And he tells others that is the Christ. This is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He reports it onwards. John he probably spent more time preaching than baptising, but baptising was, of course, his unique selling point. So that's how he come, he gets that label. He, he understands the presence of the dove. And he understands it because he is in relationship with God. The relationship is there not simply because he's descended from a priestly family, or that God predestined him to his role before he was conceived, or that the Holy Spirit was acting on his elderly parents at the time that he was conceived. But the relationship is there because John is walking with God, seeking to do God's will, sharing the message of repentance that the Lord has put in his heart, and awaiting the coming 
of the Christ. There is within John an expectation that God will do what God said he would do. When he baptised Jesus, he sees the vision of the dove descending. He sees it as the Holy Spirit. And he knows that there has been a promise fulfilled to God's people, but also to him personally. And there is a sense there that there is a a completion of his uh, ministry time or preparing the way, Uh, a sort of coming to the completion from that very first moment where he leapt in his mother's womb. John had faith in God and he had purpose. And those two things have to go together. Faith (coughs) and purpose. It's wonderful to come to church and sing praise and trust in God and say, yeah, God is good. That's a great thing. But it's missing something if our faith then doesn't have purpose with it. And we see something of that purpose here. We see that purpose in John and we see it in what happens with John's disciples. John had no idea when the Christ would appear. Even if it he'd always known that it was going to be his cousin, which this actual passage kind of suggests maybe he didn't. Did he expect it not to happen until he gets to the age of 30 of thereabouts? Year upon year, he has been preaching. John hadn't suddenly appeared on the scene and the crowds flocked him and then Jesus is there the next day. It's taken time. It's perhaps a ministry of 15 years from his coming of age. Prayerfully walking with God, preaching the word, seeing people baptised, John's name slowly spreading as people come towards him, repent, and then go away. For the most part, returning home. God's timing is not of our choosing. Sometimes things happen in an instant and God can and does do miracles and they are sometimes overnight or even quicker. It's done. And other times he uses the earth's processes and we have to wait and we don't know how long that wait is. There needs to be a 
uh, a biding of the heart, a waiting for other things to take place, things that we might not normally ourselves relate into the situation. We need to wait for other people to do what they must do, for a journey and a process, for cogs to whir, for mechanisms to move. Think about it. How long was Joseph the dreamer in Egypt after being sold by his brothers before his brothers see him again and he is able to feed them in the time of famine? Hello, nice jigsaw team. We're looking at that last year. You got time? Yeah, probably a bit less. Probably about 22 or something. It might be longer because there might be bits that aren't counted. So, but, but certainly it's over 20 years, probably up to 30. You know, something, you know, time goes on. But yet God was putting things in place from those early dreams where everybody's bowing down the sheaves of corn through to when they do come and bow down. God puts it in place and it's not a clear journey and it had all sorts of pain along the way. I think of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. We know that one a bit better, don't we, the 40 years. Or what about the Babylonian exile? Something like 60 to 70 years, depending on which bits you take and go, oh, I think that was then. You know, and they're God's people. Or by the river and they're going, uh, how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We do it by being faithful. And we do it with a purpose of continuing the story and making sure that people know that we have a God who keeps his promises. We have a God who wants people to come to him and to journey with him. We have a God that says, when you come close to me, I'll come close to you. I'm always there, but I will come close. John prepared the way of listening for God. He saw what God wanted him to see and points to Jesus saying to some faithful people, some disciples of his own, look, the Lamb of God. And they follow in a very literal sense, don't they? You know, they're going, oh, Jesus is going that way, I'm going to follow them that way. He follows them along the path. It's the start of them following in a, in a wider sense too. But to begin with, it's a bit of a following. Hmm, where's he heading? Let's see what he's up to. They follow at a distance. Walking in that direction a few steps further back. But Jesus turns round and he sees them. And he calls, asking what they're up to. You know? And he kind of knows what they're up to. 
They don't verbalise it very well. They sort of say, where are you staying? Now, I think they want to know a bit more than where, where you're spending the night or something like that. But it, 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 it's that opening conversation, isn't it? Where's he heading? And he doesn't just say, oh, well, I'm going to... Boom. That place over there. He says, you know, come, discover it. <coughs> Find out yourself. See what's going on. Jesus doesn't want us to remain distant. To simply stand back and go, what's that over there? But asks us to walk with him and see the things as he sees them. And if you think of his teaching and the miracles that he does throughout the gospel, the disciples of learning in those instances. You know, how are people treated? Where do people put their trust? What is it that people value in their life? You know. They sit watching the folk doing the offerings, some with a flourish, an old widow with her might. And Jesus is saying, watch, see what it is, have your eyes open. Look at the world and think about how God calls it to be. How are you going to be one of his people? The disciples understand some of what Jesus says. They understand some of what he shows them. But it takes time. And they don't always get it right. And we don't always get it right either. The disciples on their three-year journey will ask questions they might not get an answer to. Or maybe receive an answer they don't like. But the very first response to Jesus is to do something else. When Jesus says, come, what they do is go to others and say, come. The first thing Andrew did was tell his brother Simon. If we were to carry on reading beyond the end of this passage and get into the next day, the next next day, Jesus calls Philip. And Philip's natural reaction is to invite Nathaniel to come and see. When did you last invite anyone to come and see friends, family, neighbours anyone quite often we don't have relationship with those outside the faith with those that don't go to a church if not our church, somebody else's church <coughs> last Sunday night as I talked of criticality and did that <coughs> thing and said you know you can't have 
rapid growth of a church if just one person tells three others and they tell three others. You know, it requires on that bit of telling, doesn't it? And actually, it depends a bit on how that person will listen, not simply by how the Holy Spirit has prepared them for you suddenly coming along, but sometimes for how strong that relationship is between you and that person to begin with, that they will receive the invitation in the right way. We need to establish relationships and issue the invitation. Otherwise, the invitation falls on deaf ears. But we do need to be willing to tell. I can't remember if in the past five years I've told you the story about back when I was 24, long before I had any sense of calling to the ministry. I'd just moved home to a new town. I wanted to find a church. I didn't belong to any denomination. I didn't really have any experience of that. I'd visited the local church of England. It wasn't for me. You know, service book. Processionals. That's not really my thing. Robes. So, puzzled about the local setting, I went into the library. Right? Library is a place of information. Let's go in there. Let's ask the question in there. It was in the same street as the Anglican church. And the librarian that I spoke to said, oh, well, there's the Anglican church, and pointed out the window. And I went, no, been there. What else is there? And said, well, there's the Methodist church, and also pointed out the window. The two churches were on the same street, both built in the 1950s. New Church Road, you know, with two new churches on it. You know, that's what developers do. Oh, yeah, let's have some churches, just umpteen churches along this road. Probably not quite the same now, but certainly back in the 50s it was. Um, Okay, so that's the Methodist. Um, And then she said, oh, well, there's another Anglican church up the far end of town. And uh, there's a Methodist church up there too. And there's a community church in a, in a school, a secondary school, maybe about a mile or two away. And then there was a bit of a pause. And then another librarian that wasn't doing much came and prompted her and said, what about that church you go to? <laughs> What about that one you go to? You've named the others. What about that one you go to? And, of course, she was the church secretary of the URC. (laughs) You know, even when somebody comes before you and asks the question, how do I get to a church, there can still sometimes be a reluctance to issue the invitation. You know, it just completely... You know, the idea of asking people. And yet, here we are. The very first thing the disciples do is go and tell people, come, come and see, come and see, discover more. This is their purpose. 
We see it again as he calls James and John. He tells them their new purpose will be to fish for people. And then at the resurrection, after the resurrection, we see on the mountain the Great Commission. Go and make new disciples. You know, it's what Jesus challenges his friends to do. To say, come and see, involves being outside (coughs) of the safety of the building. It involves being outside the safety of the numerical advantage of being with other believers. You know? Four, five, eight, ten. There's twelve of us. There's a dozen of us. You know, and maybe that, yeah, safety in numbers. You know, if we were to find one person and say, oh, why don't you come? We might feel confident in saying that. If we are ourselves, we might lose some of that confidence. And yet, when Jesus sends out the twelve, that's convenient, isn't it? And when he sends out the 72, we have not quite 72 here tonight, he sends them just to travel in pairs, not as a church plant of a dozen together in the village, boom, not as a huge mission to the village that take the village over. He sends them out in pairs to go and talk with a family in their house to stay in that house not to move house to house but to stay with just in that relationship to build relationship uh, and to tell about Jesus at a personal level and that's it for us you know we each have something we have that faith You wouldn't be coming out on a January evening, I don't imagine, in the dark, that's a bit chilly outside. If you didn't have faith in God, you wouldn't want to really come here for that. You know, I'm not that great a speaker. But you have to then take the message onwards. Faith and purpose. And our purpose is to see the kingdom grow. It's to go and make disciples. It's to say to other folk, folk that we know, come and see. John the Baptist had faith and he had purpose. Faith in God and he was pointing the way to Jesus. Pointing the way first off in a metaphorical way, saying there's got to be one that's coming. And then it becomes very physical when Jesus is on the scene. That's him. The Lamb of God. Like, like, him over there. As God's people grow in faith, their purpose is to point to Jesus. Not simply saying, I see you, 
you know, as if it was hide and seek, hide and seek even. There you are. I see you, Jesus. You're there. That's the faith bit. The purpose is saying, here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So that others who don't know him can find a faith. They can become disciples. They can grow and point the Lord out to others too. With faith and purpose, we can be God's people. Amen.